Hey everybody, welcome to church. My name is Chris McDaniel, the lead pastor here at Trinity, and today we're gonna to be looking at Revelation 5, so if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and grab it. While we do that, I wanna say something that I, I haven't said over the last number of weeks as we've been in the book of Revelation. One of the things that strikes me most about this book is that John, uh, the beloved of Jesus, who wrote the Revelation that we read, uh, at the time of this reading, he was exiled and imprisoned on an island called Patmos. And church history tells us that John at this point is more advanced in years and most of his friends have, have died for their faith in Jesus. We also know from church history that John had been tortured at various times in his life. And so here he is uh, toward the end of his life, um, covered in scars. Uh, he'd been boiled in oil, had hot oil thrown on his body. He had suffered remarkably for Jesus. And I think that when we hear these words of John's revelation in that context, we recognize something I think that's really important, which is this. Jesus comes to us and can find us even when we are in a tough spot. And many of us, as we're coming out of a year of, of a pandemic and we're hoping for brighter days, probably feel a little bit threadbare, a little bit weary maybe from all that's happened over the last number of years, or the last number of months rather, regarding the pandemic and racial reckoning in our country and political upheaval. And if Jesus can find John, a man who could have been discouraged, who could have felt lonely, who could have felt isolated, if he can find him, then I just wanna say he can find you. And that's something I think we need to hope for and work toward believing in a deep way as we walk through this Easter season. So with that in mind, I want to read all of chapter 5, actually. And then I saw in the right hand of the one seated on the throne a scroll written on the inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. And then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And then I saw between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders a lamb standing as if it had been slaughtered, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of the one who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sing a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slaughtered and by your blood you were ransomed for God, saints from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests serving our God and they will reign on earth. And then I looked and heard the voice of many angels surrounding the throne and the living creatures and the elders. They numbered myriads of myriads, thousands of thousands, singing with full voice, worthy is the lamb that was slaughtered to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them singing to the one seated on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
Let's pray. Father, we ask today for grace to hear the word of God. We pray, Lord, that this marvelous and, and bizarre imagery in the Bible, God, would actually speak to our spirits, Lord. I pray that like John, we would find you, Jesus, no matter where we are, no matter what it is that we're facing, that we would hear you and receive you and know that you're doing something good on our behalf. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I think there's a temptation with the Bible to be distracted by these elders and these creatures and all of the vivid imagery in the book of Revelation. But I think that there are a few things here that we need to see and not be distracted by the other stuff. We need to hear, I think, the heartbeat of what John would have felt as he was receiving this revelation from God. And the first thing that I think the Lord wants us to hear and to contend with is John weeping. John weeps because no one is worthy to open the scroll. And what we see in this passage is that we've got a father seated on a throne with a scroll in his hand and that scroll is sealed and we don't know what's on it, but what we do know is that what's written on that scroll has got to be of massive importance because no one in earth or heaven or under the earth is able, is worthy to open the scroll. And the first thing that we see is that John recognizes that no one's worthy, that God wants to say something. He wants to do something and no one can access that something. And so he weeps. And then he looks and he sees a lion. But when he looks, it doesn't look like a lion. See, one of the elders says, John, don't weep because um, the lion of the tribe of Judah has conquered and he's able to open the scroll. But when John looks, he doesn't see a lion. He sees a lamb, a lamb that looks as if it's been killed, slaughtered, but it's living. And this is the great reversal of Easter. See, the lion of Judah looks like a slain lamb that lives. And what we see here in a very imaginative way is this picture of Jesus' resurrection, that Jesus, who is both lion and lamb, was killed for you and me, but death did not have the last say. One of the great treasures of Easter, and I think the powerful thing that gathers us over this great 50 days, is that the resurrection means that Jesus entered into death and conquered it and has emerged victoriously out the other side. And that's what John begins to get his eyes on in this moment. He sees that Jesus is both lion and lamb and he is alive. And I just want to say this to you. Jesus conquering death should mean something for you and me. It means something not only for, for heaven and for the resurrection, for our future, but it means something, I think, for our here and now. And that leads me to the second thing I want to say to you, which is that Jesus is worthy. And that means something to Christians. The fact that no one else was worthy, but Jesus is, actually means that this lion lamb is able to do something and give us access to what God wants to say to us. We're told in the Bible in many spaces that God wants you and me to be the kinds of people who are able to hear his voice, who are able to access the voice of God. And here we see that God the Father wants to say something. He has something written on a scroll and Jesus is able because he is worthy to give you and me access to what God would say. He wants to give you access. And I think that one of the great invitations of the Easter season is for us to recognize that the worthiness of Jesus gives us access to the heart and the word of God. That the Lord wants to open up your ears to hear him. He wants to animate our hearts to feel connected to what God has, not disconnected. And here Jesus gives us access. 
And I love the fact that Jesus doesn't ask for permission. His authority and access has been granted to him because of his worthiness. And as he opens the seal and accesses it, these elders surrounding the throne of God fall down on their faces. They fall before a slaughtered lamb who lives and we're told something that is really bizarre. The third thing that I want to say to you is that when they fall down, there is imagery of harps playing and bowls of incense before the throne of God. This idea of harp and bowl, I think, is really, really important for us. In the economy of God, where God and Jesus reside, there is music and there is prayer, harp and bowl. And I believe that as we think about our own life with God, this imagery of a harp and bowl should actually inform the way that we worship and give our devotion life to God. I just want to say regarding harp, music matters. Music wakes something up in our spirits. And there's a reason why in, in heaven, in God's world, music is being played throughout eternity. There's something about song. And I'm going to tell you, I... I'm not a good singer. I, I, I take very seriously the metaphor, make a joyful noise to the Lord. I, I don't sing well, but I do sing. And some of you listening to me maybe think, well, I don't do that well, so I don't do it. The harp is a part of the atmosphere of heaven. And there's a reason why when we gather together, we sing. It's actually one of the great things I miss regarding being inside our worship and prayer services where we're able to sing and worship and get into the presence of God, the harp in the bowl. The bowl of incense is the prayers of the saints. It's your prayers. And I just want to say to you, your praying matters. I believe that there is a bowl full of my heartfelt prayer that is burning before the throne of God and making an aroma. I believe that, and I believe it's true of your prayers. The challenge for many of us is that we live largely prayerless lives. And if we have a bowl in God's space, it's, it's empty or it's impoverished. And I just want to say to you, turning the, the cares of your life, but also the, the love that you would have for God into prayer is actually your job. It's your vocation as a Christian. And I believe the Lord wants us to grow in this respect. The harp and bowl remind me to be a person who makes song and who makes prayer and puts those things before God because I believe that the harp and the bowl, you're worshiping and you're praying actually enhance the atmosphere around the throne of God. They make God's atmosphere better, more beautiful. You have a part to play in the story that God is telling. But when the elders begin singing and praying, they say four things and I just wanna say them to you. They say, Jesus is worthy. They say Jesus' death, his ransom has done something. It's ransomed everyone who would receive it. So he has paid a price if you'll receive it. Thirdly, he's done more than ransom us. Um, the, the elders sing because of the resurrection, he has made us more than we could ever be in our own strength. He's actually expanded you and made you more because of his work on the, on the cross in the empty tomb. We're priests, we're saints, they say. And lastly, I want to focus here. They say we will reign on the earth. And that's the next thing. The fourth thing I want to say in this passage is to sit with this idea of the fact that you, if you belong to Jesus, were destined to reign on the earth. I'm just going to say it again because it may not be what you were taught in Sunday school growing up, but it's right here in the Bible. You were destined to reign on earth. Now, how could that be if you've already died and gone to heaven? How could you reign on earth? That's what the text says. 
That's actually what God says you have. If you belong to him, that's your great future to reign on this earth. This word in Revelation gives us a clear glimpse into the glorious future of the ransomed people of God. Here's what we've said throughout the Easter season. Resurrection is not just life after death. It's what comes after life after death. It's, as N.T. Wright would say, life after life after death. Let me explain that for a moment. See, the Bible is always taught and Christian teaching has always understood this, that when you die, if you belong to Jesus, you go to heaven. That's life after death. That's where your grandmother is if she knows the Lord. That's where you will go when you die. Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You are with Jesus in that space. But our bodies are getting, gonna get buried or, or cremated, whatever it is you do here. So graveyards are full and you're with God. That's what Christians believe about heaven. But Jesus' resurrection isn't just going to happen to Jesus. You will be resurrected. I will be resurrected. And so what Christians believe at the end of all days is that we will be resurrected, which means that your body, mine, hopefully at Crestlawn Cemetery, just up the road from here, is going to be reanimated in a way that is hard for me to wrap my head around, but I'm going to get my body back. And the earth is going to be renewed. We're told that a new Jerusalem will come down from heaven and be established here that earth will be resurrected and people will be resurrected and we will live out a glorious resurrected existence in a renewed heaven and earth. Heaven will come to earth. Jesus taught us to pray, let your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. One day that prayer will be emphatically ultimately answered and we're destined to reign with God. And one of the things that I love about this is that your future and mine is not an endless church service sitting on clouds with little fat babies playing harps. Like uh, many of us think, well, are we supposed to be pumped up about an endless church service? No, we're going to have jobs to do. We're going to reign with God on a renewed earth where there's no sin. That's what the Bible tells us. And I just want to say to you, that's where your story is headed. So as you face trial and trouble today, as we face violence in our streets and corruption in our government, as we worry about how to get by, I just want to say your story is headed toward a glorious climactic conclusion. God has a plan. Jesus conquered death and you're going to follow him into that beautiful unhindered life that is to come. And I love how this passage ends. All the unworthy people start singing. <laughs> The elders sing, and then more people join in the song. And then at the end, the circle widens to every creature in heaven, earth, and under the earth. So those in heaven, those living, and those who have died are all singing, worthy is the Lamb. And this gives me so much hope. Because I don't have to pretend like I'm worthy when I'm not. I don't have to pretend like I have it together when I don't. Here we see that Jesus is the only one who is truly worthy, but he invites all of us unworthy people to say, you have done something for us, God. You have made a way for us, Jesus. During this Easter season, we join with those and say, God, you have done something for us. I just want to say to you today, this is what you do with your shame. This is what we do with our pain. We say, I'm not worthy, but Jesus, you're worthy. Therefore, I can join in the song. 
It's a powerful way to recognize your part to play in thanking Jesus for the good thing that he does. I want to leave you with three questions. And if you're in a group, you can, you can discuss. But if you're on your own, this is an opportunity to journal and reflect. And I'll share those with you. Before I do, I just want to say during the week, if you are at home, um, you can come by the church during the week and pick up communion. Uh, we would love for you to have communion in your home. Um, it's an honor for us to serve you. And you just come by during the week and we'll, we'll serve you. We're here all, all week during the day and into the early evening. And if this is your church, it's an opportunity for you to give. But if you're a guest, if you're checking us out from far away, or maybe you've been away from church or from God for a while, we just want to say everything's taken care of. Um, we're just super glad you tune in and join us for this service. Here's some questions to think through. What does it look like for you to ascribe worth to Jesus? How is Jesus worthy? And I, I think it's important to go beyond like cliched religious thinking, like what has Jesus done that's worthy? How do you see him as being worthy? I think naming those things would be really important. Number two, how might the harp and bowl imagery be useful to you as you seek to grow in your life with God? So music and prayer, what does it look like for you to grow in those areas, to make space for those things? And, I, and lastly, I just want to get you to reflect a little bit on what you think it might look like or feel like for you to reign on earth with the resurrected Jesus and everybody else who loves Jesus. I think it would be great for us to just think about that for a little bit, to talk about it. What does it look like for me to reign? Not sit in church forever, but reign on earth with God. That's your future. Let's talk about it. Let's now join together with the church all over the world and pray the words that Jesus has taught us to pray. Let's pray the Lord's Prayer before we bless you and send you out of here. Let's pray together as Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. Go in peace. We'll see you when we see you. Amen.